morning, everybody. Thank you all for being here again today. Uh, we're kind of coming into the home stretch. Uh, after today, we'll have three more Sundays together, so we'd invite you to come back. Um, let me give you a quick overview of, of what's happening as we close out in the final weeks. Today, we're going to be talking with a panel of folks, two that have been involved with the early service, so they'll be here in just a minute. But um, this, this group of folks are Otter Creek members who have had, in some capacity, a role in serving refugees in Nashville and have opened their homes or they've been on uh, trips or they've, they've had some sort of um, experience with serving. And so we want to hear from them and just understand how they got involved and what they learned and what they would say to us. So I appreciate these uh, folks being with us today. Next week will be what we have uh, promoted many, many times, and that is, it's called World Relief 101. And um, due to their short staff, um, we're not going to be able to do three full weeks like we'd hoped. But they're busy. They're a nonprofit, and they're serving, and they're kind of overwhelmed with the need right now. And so we totally understand that. So we'll just do one week. And so it's called World Relief 101, and it's a great... Uh, introduction to how you can serve with World Relief, which is a resettling agency here in Nashville, but also um, nationally and worldwide. So um, great uh, information there. I really encourage you to be a part of next week's class. Um, It will put you on the path to becoming a certified volunteer for them and a great way for you to jump in uh, here in Nashville. So one thing that we, oops, one thing that we have um, stressed is our goals for the class and you know, here we are next week entering into that training portion. We want you to got, want you guys to receive some sort of training at, because there is a federal, um, there's federal involvement in federal funds, then most of the organizations require training of some sort because you're, you're, you're involved in the federal system in that way, in that capacity. And so some training is necessary. A lot of folks come and say, well, how can I get involved in... It's not one of those types of things where you can just automatically jump in um, as a volunteer because it is federally, you know, there's federal money involved. So we want to continue to uh, raise awareness, cultivate compassion, which I think is kind of easy, isn't it? I mean, it's just kind of easy. Uh, we, we, we see the need. There are so many people uh, coming to Nashville, coming to the U.S., um, and the needs are obvious. And so we hope we've made that really clear and, and invited you to to uh, raise your compassion level wherever you are. Uh, We'll do the training and then ultimately we want to send you out. We want to put you in contact with real uh, service opportunities here in Nashville. And I think these folks will shed light on some of those types of opportunities. Uh, And then maybe even globally. And um, Susan will speak directly to that. But um, thank you for being a part of this series. We're we're excited, we've learned a lot and I hope that um, that you're growing. A quick recap over some of the local opportunities that we talked about last week. We breezed through them. Um, Laura Camp is here today. Her and Issa came a few weeks ago and talked about Siloam Health Clinic here in Nashville. Great opportunity for medical professionals and non-clinical professionals or non-clinical volunteers uh, like you and I, uh, or like me. I don't know, maybe some of you are in the medical profession. But it's an easy way to step in and serve on a weekly basis if you'd like. But check out SaloamHealth.org. It's a great opportunity, um, and I appreciate Laura and Issa sharing with that. ThriftSmart.com, check it out, but it's a, it's a real simple concept. They've taken the thrift, uh, the thrift store model and made it into a ministry here in Nashville. They have two locations, uh, one on Nolensville Road and one in Franklin. 
and it's an easy way for you to volunteer time, volunteer old clothing, gently worn clothing. Um, but basically, they're taking donations, collecting uh, donations, and then selling those, and all the proceeds go to local um, ministries and outreach efforts. And um, I guess by default, the, the Nolensville location has particularly reached uh, the refugee population here in Nashville. And so it's a great outreach to the refugee population. And they have lots of spinoffs, uh, different things they're doing, like So for Hope, who is uh, training refugee, mostly women, but refugee people, uh, resettled people, to learn how to sew. And they have a six-month program through which one could go and learn a trade, and then at the, at the end of that, they graduate with a sewing machine and uh, some of the tools to start their own business. So what a great idea to help folks uh, get their feet on the ground as they are resettled here in Nashville. But check out soforhope.org, um, a great, great organization. They offer ESL, they all, it's all under the roof of ThriftSmart, and so it's a great partnership there. And then of course the one we've talked about till we're blue in the face is World Relief Nashville. You definitely need to go to their site and check out a multitude of opportunities, uh, lots of ways that you can be involved even this holiday season. There's welcome kits. There's all sorts of things that you could uh, provide for families as they resettle. Um, so there's uh, lots of information there. If you missed last week and want to know more, definitely see me. But um, great ways to get involved, especially around the holiday season. Um, so we continue to talk about um, the mandate of love. It's clear that uh, Jesus was very um, intentional in his ministry in um, relating to and having solidarity, solidarity with the refugee. The class is called Jesus Was a Refugee. He started his life as one who was fleeing persecution. Uh, and him and his family went to uh, Egypt to escape Herod's um, persecution. And so uh, probably no coincidence that he placed himself um, not only identifying himself with the poor and sort of outcast and not in power, but also as a refugee. Uh, I think that's really interesting and, and has served as the premise for this class. So like I said, the Sweeney's will be here in just a minute, um, but I've invited all five folks here to just share a little bit about their experience with refugees, how they've served. And so maybe the first question is just what capacity have uh, have what role have you played? What what sort of service have you have you been involved with? Trisha, let's start with you. Well, um, back in 2003, we started working with a refugee couple back in 2003. So ours, not Syrian and, and Hispanic, but a, a Kurdish couple who had been uh, lifted out of the Saddam Hussein area. Um, by, in 1997, um, he, he, the husband had been working for the UN and Clinton, uh, they were gonna kill all the, the uh, people that were um, helping the UN. And so Clinton got them out, they, they were evacuated to Guam and then to Atlanta and then they came to Nashville because they heard Nashville was such a wonderful place. And so we, um, we were at church one Sunday, and there was an ad in the bulletin, and it said, if you can, would like to um, tutor a, a refugee couple in English, contact Servant, for Servant Group International. And that's one that really hadn't been mentioned yeah. here, and I, 
Is it still the same one that I worked with? Yeah. 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 Um, and so we contacted Servant Group International and they put us with this couple. And we have been working with them every week since <laughs> for 13 years. <laughs> and uh, Lucian and I consider um, that we have two biological children and now we have four children. <laughs> <laughs> um, because she was not allowed to go to school. So we, she's learned to read, she's got a job at Walmart, they want her to be head of the department, but she doesn't want that responsibility. She's <laughs> really done well. They are now both American citizens. So it's, it's really been an extremely rewarding experience, although they've had major problems. Yeah. We, we work through, we help them work through each of their problems. Yeah. Susan, how about you? Well, I do work with Servant Group International also, and um, for about uh, 10 years or so, off and on, I've been involved in an English program for women. Um, right now, we, we have all volunteer teachers and provide a curriculum and guidance so that anybody can just jump in and teach. And we have between 20 and 40 women, typically, who come. Um, most of them are Middle Eastern, well, I guess all of them are Middle Eastern, most of them Iraqi, we have some Kurdish folks, and then within the last year, we started to get a lot more Syrians and Somalis. Yeah. Mike, tell us about your experience. So, um, earlier this year, in March and April, um, we hosted in our home a family of six of refugees from Iraq, and um, they were Haider and Hamael have four children, and uh, Zainab is the oldest at 13, and little Zauni is the youngest at three. Um, and so we were asked to take them for a couple of weeks, and it ended up being a whole month. Um, but it was definitely a, a great experience. We, we got to know them. We know, you know a little more about Iraq. We know a little more about um, you know what they want and uh, so that was it and we 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 did this kind of on a whim um, we had heard um, uh, Fadi who is involved with World Relief he he is uh, Syrian um, but he is a Christian minister in Martin Tennessee but he works with World Relief a lot and so we heard him here and the church just sent an email out and said, hey, would y'all consider it? And we, I mean, we have, we've been blessed beyond what we should be. Uh, and just like everybody, I'm, I, I go around saying I'm Dave Ramsey all the time because I'm, I'm better than I deserve. Um, <laughs> but uh, we have plenty of room, just come on in. And, uh, and it, it wasn't that simple. I will give it some, I will give that back. Uh, we thought it would be. But, um, you know, it, it, was, it was good. There are struggles that these refugees have that it's not really obvious until you spend a lot of time with them, right? Because in that hit and run, that maybe hour, two hours, you can talk about things that are the big things, yeah. right? But when you're with them a long time, the little things that, that we would kind of dismiss as quirks can really be challenges for them in our society. It really can be. So, 
good segue because I'd, I'm really interested in what you learned because the experience, uh, you know, as in any, any service opportunity, any, any love opportunity, you, you learn so much about them, but you also learn a lot about life and yourself. And so, Mike, just pick right up where you left off and just talk a little bit about what, what's an example of one of those quirks and what did it teach you and them? What, what was one, of, one of the quirks is, um, you know, this, this, is a, this is a Muslim family with, with some uh, pretty strict adherence to some of the Muslim tenets. And, and so food was a challenge. Right? They can't eat what we have in our fridge. Uh, they don't want to touch what we have in our fridge. I mean, I'm serious. They're like, no, well, our stuff can't even, maybe even can't even go in there, right? And um, and, and so that was a that was right off the bat uh, a, a deal. Now, you know, uh, Hamael is a good cook, and we ate what she cooked, which was great, right? We got to we got to have this experience, but you know, never could it be reciprocated. And so that was a challenge. This is the logistics of eating for them was a challenge. The other thing is. This is, this is a family of one man, his wife, two daughter, oh, three daughters, and a son. And the son is the three-year-old. Um, they can't go anywhere without being chaperoned by Hyder. And he leaves the house six, eight hours a day and just leaves them, right? This is a challenge. I mean, it got to be where we were just like, dude, you've got to get these people out. They're just, I mean, there's, there, there's, there's all this big bad world out there to see, and, and they're seeing our backyard again, right? Yeah. We've got to change this a little bit. And so, you know, that, those are challenges. Yeah. They really are. Susan, what did, what did you learn in your, in your experience so far? What, what have you been learning? Well, um everyone has had this kind of experience but when you're with someone who looks so different on the outside and and speaks differently um, it's hard to see at first how similar we are and just to to meet the women that I meet and realize that the, the hopes that they have are the same as mine they want their kids to grow up well they want their kids to get a good education they want to have a secure life they want peaceful relationships, they want a place that's pleasant to live, they want to know how to live righteously and well. I mean, they have a lot of the same things in their heart that we do that are important to us. And so to connect on that level has been important. And and uh, I also just thought about how small actions can really mean a lot. A little bit of kindness to somebody who's in a desperate situation be life-changing and we don't have to give a ton like you guys did <laughs> we don't have to you know give something that feels great or even demanding to us for it to make a big difference to someone um, who is in need so that's another thing and and I also just think about um, the importance of this role I mean what one of the goals, well, probably the main goal, I suppose, the foundational goal of our program is to facilitate relationship between believers and immigrants because they don't happen naturally very often. And um, to realize how much we are representing the good side of both America and Christianity 
which they have heard a lot of bad stuff about. Their impressions are, I mean, you would be amazed at some of the things that they think of Americans and of Christians because of the news, yeah. because of movies, it's, it's well, uh, reinforced by that. And so if we can be representative of the good parts of our society and of true Christianity, then it's a huge paradigm shift for a lot of them. Um, I remember one student, well actually a conversation between several students who told me that they were terrified when they first learned that they were gonna be assigned to America because they knew that everyone in America has a gun and there's all this violence on the streets because the crime is so high and they were afraid to come here even though they were coming from a war zone. So you can see that um, impressions are just like we have impressions from a distance of them. Yeah. Tricia? Well, I'm, I'm just thinking uh, um, our couple, um, she could not have children. And in that society, not having children is the worst thing that could happen. Mm -hmm. the, the, the family thinks they're cursed. Or, I mean, it's just the worst thing that can happen. And she, her family blames him because he was gassed by Chemical Ali. Mm -hmm. And his family blames her that she can't have children. So it, and I think the best thing we did was listen. <laughs> we just sat there and listened to them back and forth. What are we gonna do? They, they tried fertilization and all this stuff. They spent all of their earning. I, the only thing they did, they earned money and they spent it on medical bills. That's what they do. Um, they have tried for years and finally I think have been convinced that they cannot have children. Although they still talk about it. And they're like 45 now, 48. Um, she's had breast cancer uh, since they've been here. We've just gone with them through lots of trials. Um, but I, I'll say, as he said, the customs are, are, we have to learn what their customs are and listen to them. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess that's what we did more than anything, is just listen. Mm -hmm. um, Mike, talk a little bit about, and for all of you, why, like on a deeper level, why did you choose or feel compelled to become involved? Um, well, it, it does go back to we are blessed beyond what, what we really should be. Yeah. And so our house has always been open for other groups. I mean, we, we frequently use that. This was a big step, right? So we kind of felt like we... Not, not that we couldn't say no, but we just thought we're the only one mm -hmm. who probably will say yes, and, and these people need help. Um, so it was just something that, that we couldn't ignore. It was just a feeling we couldn't ignore. And, and it's really funny, Shannon and I, we didn't even question it. We just, she asked me, and I said, yeah, I saw it, yeah, let's do it. And I mean, it was it just that quick. Now. You have to understand too that Hyder, um, he had been to the United States before and he had applied for the special immigrant status and he, he, was, he was awarded it for the right reasons. Um, he, he showed up at the airport um, in a city like ours where there's a little bit of a housing shortage for lower income families 
and he had his five family members in tow, which he did not tell World Relief he was bringing until they showed up at the airport in Nashville, Tennessee, right? So there was no preparation for this family. I mean, it was truly a six alarm emergency for World Relief. And so that again was a, was a deciding factor too, that this was really like, wow. Yeah. And we didn't know that part until later, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was definitely an emergency that they weren't, weren't going to be able to solve any other way. Yeah. So. <laughs> Susan, how about you? What, back in those days before you read that bulletin article, just tell us why you, know, why you got involved when you, saw, um, when you saw an opportunity. To go back, I, I, I mean, I've been, I had been the foreigner in a couple of uncomfortable situations, and mine was with one travel, so you know, not a refugee situation, but enough to know how it feels, <coughs> to how helpless that feels when you don't know anything about what's going on or how to get information or whatever. And then um, I also got to travel some in the Middle East and see several different refugee situations, and just, it's, it's so, overwhelming to understand a little of what they're up against and that you know any one of the many things that they're facing would be overwhelming to me and so seeing some of those situations and then just coming back and thinking I I want to do something um, but I'm not gonna spend my life in the Middle East so I found out what was going on here and it was through servant group and just started getting involved and I guess I would say the other the other reason that I got involved is because I just know I need to. I I don't I am so enriched by doing this and I know that if I don't if I'm not really deliberate about it and intentional, then I'm gonna stay in my comfortable little place and I don't wanna be there. But it it takes some kind of initiative to get out of it. And so this, I knew this would be good for me. Okay. So that's part of it. Good. And it's been so long, I don't know why we get into <laughs> 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 I do know, our, our two sons, one, at, at, in 2003, they were in Timbuktu. One was in Australia and one was in Argentina. They just were traveling, they were doing stuff, and we thought, well, here we are. We have, no, you know. <laughs> And they may never come back, and mm. so we felt like we we needed something. Yeah. Um, sidebar, but Susan, tell us a little bit more about the servant group and what they do in Nashville. I, I know very little about them. Okay. Just give us an overview of what they're about. Um, I'm going to let Lisa talk more about that in a minute. But they um, started, I think, to deal with the Kurdish population. Is it just how old are they? Twenty-five years ago. Twenty-five years ago. Okay, yeah. and then it has expanded. Um, they work with Muslim populations both here in Nashville and in Iraq. They also three uh, Christian classical schools in northern Iraq, and um, and then some local ministries as well. And Lisa can tell us a little bit more about some of that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a common thread for you all is that you, based on your experiences and and your faith and how you had come to see what it means to be a disciple. It sounds like you you jumped at an opportunity um, for whatever reason. There was there was a, a compelling 
reason there in your soul. So here, here you got a class full of people who, um, who've sat through the bulk of this class. They've heard lots of opportunities thrown at them. So I'd love to hear what you have to say to somebody who's just kind of right there. They want to do something. They've kind of got some opportunities now on the table. Uh, what would be your encouragement or your words of wisdom for, for all of us? Start with Mike. Wow. Um, I was hoping you'd say last. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, yeah. <clears throat> so Hyder would ask me, you know, why did you do this? Because many cases, I, I mean, Hamael, she cried for two days living in her house. Hmm. Partly, I think she was ashamed that she had had to resort to just the kindness of strangers, literally. Uh, but also because she, she was afraid of Christians. She was. That's just how it is. Let's just get that out there. So Heider would ask me every now and then, he'd, he'd say, you know, why? Why would you do this? Um, and my answer to him was the same every time. Look, and he would, he, this was invariably when we were talking about, you know, his experiences in Iraq and why he left. And you're absolutely right that they want many of the same things, if not the same things that we want for our family. And we would be having this discussion and saying, yes, you know, you came here for the same reasons that I would have come here, right? I feel the same way about my family as you feel about yours. Um, but. I, I can't fix Iraq. Nobody can. It's 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 gone. I mean, it's going to be just a century, maybe, before it comes back, if it ever really does, like it was. Um, but you know what? I I can help you. I can help you. Um, and this is my way of making a difference in Iraq from Nashville, Tennessee. And I, I, think, I think that's really, um, I think that's really something that, that I would say you would have to feel to give and not let it hurt you or bother you that they're gonna say and do some things that aren't very grateful. And they're gonna say and do some things that might offend you. Believe me. <laughs> they do. Um, and hey, uh, if, if you don't have the mindset, and this is me talking, not necessarily saying you have to feel this way, but it's just for me, um, you know, it was, that, that was, that was an important, that was an important part of the whole process is learning that that's really why you do yeah, really, really interesting. Um, you you use the phrase the kindness of strangers, and already in our experience with the family from Iraq, of course, a patriarchal society in particular, there's a lot of pride in the male supporting the family and fulfilling his, you know, perceived obligations. And um, that's one thing that's very strong that I've learned already, culturally speaking, it's a very strong feeling for the male to it's tough to come here 
and be sort of taken care of by strangers to kind of submit to that. It's, it's a, you really have to swallow your pride. All of us have been there in terms of receiving help from anybody. You know, we're, American culture's the same in that, uh, you know, we want to take care of ourselves. We want to make good for ourselves and, and we don't want to have to depend on other people. You know, as young people that get married, you want to kind of break those ties from your family. You don't want them paying your bills per se. Uh, but that, that's, um, I think that's a, a thread through humanity that we, we want and something deep down wants us to be self-sufficient. And, um, and here we are dealing with a population who has to kind of overcome that internal, um, you know, stigma. You just, you want to, you want to take care of your family and you want to, you don't want to have to be dependent. I appreciate that. Give us a quick update on where he is. Like once he left, once the family yeah, left your so, house. So, so Hyder, Hyder had some, some challenges with the way that the system was, was set up. And, and you have to also understand culturally, um, for instance, he mentioned specifically Siloam when they were there, you know, they were treated like human beings. People really cared. They got in and they got out quickly. Everybody had a great experience. And this is not the way that they do healthcare in Iraq. You know, you wait until the doctor deems to see you, right? And it might be three days. You don't know. Same with the government. Hey, these people got us in and out. They were so nice and they actually talked to us, gave us coffee and stuff. You know, in Iraq, I might have to go back three or four times before the guy will deem to see me, right? And so, you know, there, there are those things that are, are, are like that. Um, where was I headed? Oh, um, he, he's used to having to punch and cajole and kick and scream to get what's coming to him. And World Relief, he was just absolutely bound and determined that World Relief was ripping him off. Mm, crazy, <laughs> right? Crazy. Now, there is some thread of truth in that because what World Relief does is the, the, the special immigrant status uh, means that Haider helped the U.S. government in Iraq. He does speak English. He, he was a computer scientist. So he helped with computers and some of the translation in, in Iraq. So it's cool, okay? Um, he uh, had some friends who had landed in Houston in a similar organization, and they had gotten their government stipend up front. That they get a government stipend with this program that's roughly about ten dollars or $12,000 when they come to the United States, depending on the size of their family. And then they're on welfare right away, food stamps, everything, right away. And it's not really welfare, it's like unemployment. They're getting a bigger check than most people who are on welfare here. Um, but he was absolutely bound and determined that because World Relief is bound by their obligation to the federal government to spend the money in certain areas, they have to, they have to apportion the money Part of the $12,000 goes toward the housing, part of it goes toward health care, part of it goes toward um, other school, whatever, you know, clothing. So World Relief is bound by this obligation. Well, he didn't believe that. He just thought World Relief was keeping his money because one of his friends got a lot more up front than he did, right? So right off the bat, I mean, he and, he and Fadi argued about it in Arabic, and I have no idea what he said, <laughs> right? And so it's cool, but Fadi assured me that his, his view was distorted and it was not right. 
Now, um, as we know, World Relief is a little overmatched in terms of the manpower. So there are some times when it is hard to get an answer. And so your mind does go, even ours do. Like, you know, when we're, when we're bothered by bureaucracy, it bothers us too, right? But for him, it was acute because here he is, he's in a stranger's house, he's in a strange place, he wants to get on with life and he wants to do it on his terms. His terms ain't, ain't playing here, right? They're just not. So Hyder went shopping around and he found out that in New England, the, the, uh, the stipend for, uh, for immigrants was much higher than it is in Middle Tennessee, so he moved to Maine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm counting the days until I get an email from him saying, holy crap, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> because, because they're from Basra. Yeah. And I want to tell you, you go look right now at the weather for today in Basra, Iraq. I'm going to tell you, it's still 100 degrees. It's, it's November. All that extra money is going to go for heating bills. What, yeah. 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 what the heck? I mean, I mean, his, uh, his, his one daughter, she's so funny, she kept, she kept putting a jacket on. This is, this is April, you know, we're at 65 degrees. I mean, she was like, it's so cold, you know, but she's about this big around. But, but still, I mean, this is, this is a crazy decision that he has made, but it's, it's, in, this, it's in this quest for getting all he is due. Now, another thing that, that Hyder wants to do, and it's kind of counter to what the immigrant program allows for, is he wants to go back to graduate school instead of working. But graduate school is kind of working, because you do get a pay, you know, you do get paid. It's just a different thing, right? And you may not get all, but he is dead set on that. Now, um, that was an issue with World Relief as well. Hmm. World Relief has to tell the federal government how he's going about finding employment, and he was refusing to do so. Yeah. Uh, he was absolutely like, no, I'm, he, he, I have even brokered, I, I know the chair of the department at Middle Tennessee State where he wanted to, to, uh, to study, and I said, hey, I'll, Charles, I'll, Hook, him, hook you up in a meeting with Charlie, y'all can talk about it, whatever. But he refused that because the program wasn't the kind that he wanted to do. This is the level of self-directedness that he wanted to impose on a system that was not built for that. Yeah. You need to be a follower for some time. And so Fadi tried to talk to him about it and it just didn't work out. Yeah. So, so he is at this moment hoping that he will get into Southern New Hampshire mm -hmm. or Southern Maine. They're both there. Yes, ma'am. So is it two years that they would be, you know, tethered to World Relief? And then I, I, I don't know what the, I don't know what that is. It's generally six to eight months. Yeah. yeah generally speaking, they want self, the government wants self-sufficiency within about eight months. And so, yeah. So he was, he, was not, he was not willing to take the first two or three steps towards self yeah. because he was holding out for some kind of yeah. uh, uh, admission to a university to which he hadn't applied. And oh, by the way, you know, it takes a few months. I think that's great insight into the value of the good neighbor teams that, 
that the Sweeney's are part of and Roger and, and us, um, it, it's really to at least work with that aspect in, in the, you know, the caseworker is assigned to them, to these families. And a caseworker probably has 30 families, you know, 30 different cases maybe at a time. And so they're, they're doing the basics, getting folks set up in an apartment, signing leases and so forth. But in terms of this real cultural coaching, I think that's the beauty of the good neighbor teams. And I think that we've already gotten into some of that, but you can imagine try, or try to imagine coming to a new culture and not knowing the rules that everyone just sort of plays by. And you need someone to help you through all those cultural mores. And, uh, you know, it's just a difficult scenario because you've got a mindset of what you'd like to provide for yourself, for your family, and you're coming up against all of the, maybe the bureaucracy or the red tape of just even education, the healthcare system, all these things. Uh, Issa spoke about that, just, the, the, just navigating the healthcare system alone is intimidating for us as Americans. But imagine what it would be like for you Particularly males, imagine what it would be like coming from a patriarchal society where you want to provide for your family and you're going to take charge and make sure that your family gets the best. And you come here and the word is wait, or the word is, well, just, you know, not now. Uh, you're, you're kind of coming up against walls. Um, David? The, the other thing that I've, as I've had friends who have been good neighbor teams, the, the, in the patriarchal society, they were the ones making all the decisions mm. to get their family to here. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, that decision making is taken away from them. Yeah. And so, or if they are lawyers or doctors <coughs> in trade, and they come here and they are asked to take a much lower job, that's just difficult for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, it would be difficult for sure, us. Sure. Yeah. You know, if we spend our entire life to become this, and now all of a sudden we're having to be a janitor. Yeah. Like that's that's a pride, and that's even just a you know how can I. How can I provide, provide for my family when I was providing for my family this way at this mm -hmm. level? Yeah. One element of War Relief is called REACH, and uh, I think a couple of you have some experience with REACH, but there, there's a need to translate your training in your country of origin to translate that to America. In other words, you might study to be an engineer in Iraq, but you know as well as I do that the standards for engineering in America are really high. And so we're not just going to let anybody come in and be an engineer, Let's, just to put it roughly. So there's a need to coach folks uh, who are being resettled and understand, okay, here's the vocabulary you use, here's what your resume needs to look like, here's the network of people you need to be talking to. Let's really analyze your skills and what your degree is in and make sure that we call it an engineer here. It might be called something very similar to that, but it's not quite you know, a mechanical engineer or a civil engineer. So that's a valuable part of World Relief in that they're trying to help people um, articulate what it is their training is and what, it, what it's uh, able to do. Steve? I'm sure they do this in the training, but I mean, I teach culture shock. I've mm -hmm. been through it. I went through it as a power broker because of the fact that I was from the United States and lived in Guatemala for 21 years. But it cannot be underestimated, even in the best of circumstances. There are going to be those times where you're not going to be happy with anybody uh, because of the shock that you are having to, to go through. And that's just, I mean, I don't know of anybody in the world that's exempt from that when they're actually picked up and placed in a different culture. It just has to happen. Yeah. And it has to have, 
I mean, for the, the host people, it has to be a very graceful kind of a situation. Yeah. One, one of the things about our family that was really at the top of Hyder's list, as, as flawed as some of his other thinking was, I mean, Zainab, who's his 13-year-old who's daughter, she speaks three languages. Mm. She is super bright. I mean, really, really smart. And he's just would not compromise on her education. And I think rightfully so, mm -hmm. right? He was shocked to learn how, how much variation there was in different high schools in our area. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? And so immediately, I mean, first of all, when he had come here prior, he went to Nashville. Now, you know, he's living in our house in Franklin. He's like, well, this was an option? Yeah. Why couldn't I have that <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, I mean, he, he had that, he had that sure. aha moment. And like, yeah, well, well, that's the, yeah, because that high school, you know, he, he can read. He sees he sees the, the sign at Franklin High School that says it's an international baccalaureate school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's the school I want her to go to. And? You know what? She really, really smart. Mm -hmm. I mean, she really should have gone there. Yeah. But it was going to be hard for him to do that, right? Really hard. David touched on something that's really a big component of this in terms of understanding what's going on. As part of the federal regulations, refugees technically are supposed to accept the first job they are offered, right? In other words, when you're overwhelmed as an agency, you don't have time to just go handpick the most perfect job for you, they're wanting to get you to self-sufficiency. We kind of need to move along here. And so that's the attitude. And um, I, I know for sure that a lot of these folks, of course, now don't forget, 1% of the, you know, 1%, really less than 1% of the refugees worldwide are being settled in, in the United States. So we're getting the cream of the crop, but let's face it. America is going to pick the people who we think are going to benefit our culture and our society. Um, that's, that's my personal opinion, but I think we're going to for sure pick bright people, educated people, people of, of some sort of status in their existing communities. Um, and here they are placing people in Tyson Chicken. I mean, that, the bulk of the workers are going to warehouses in Tyson Chicken. And these are highly qualified individuals in their home countries. Um, so we're running out of time, but I do know that's a big component. And our, our family from Iraq has already figured out the school's structuring and the, the zoning and how all that works and they've already moved from Stonebrook now to the city of Franklin because they get it they understand that they want the best for their family and I think this is true for the Syrians the Syrian culture is is a highly educated highly successful country I mean up until five years ago in the war that, that tore it apart but these folks are are um, much like Americans they, they they have education they have wealth they have uh, these experiences and we would all want the very same thing for our, uh, our children. Running out of time, but Lisa, or, or sorry, um, Susan, talk about Lisa and y'all's connection and, and let, let's wrap up with this. Okay. Uh, real quick, but one, I got to go this year uh, in April to Greece, Lisa Harris. Come on. Come on up, Lisa. <laughs> Lisa Harris, and she is on staff at Servant Group International as well as at Franklin Christian Academy. And um, she leads trips to uh, Greece to help with the refugees there. <clears throat> and so I got to go on one of those trips, and it, you know, you guys have all had experiences like this. It's just eye opening. So I wanted her to tell you about that because. The last question Dwayne asks is, what would you tell people considering getting involved? And they 
lots of things I'd like to say, but it'd be preaching to the choir mostly here, I think. Um, but one is that, that seeing where parts of where they've come from is really uh, helpful in understanding what goes on here. So I'm gonna, yeah. Well, thanks, I'll be quick. Yeah. Um, the goals of your class is exactly the goals of our trip. Um, we, as you, I've, been, I've been with Servant Group for 20 years. We've been working in Iraq for 20 years. I used to go to Iraq and train teachers. And the mandate of Servant Group is to declare the gospel in Muslim communities, wherever Muslim communities are, whether that's Iraq, whether that's English classes in Nashville, whether that's an influx of Muslim refugees in Greece, which is what's happening now. And so um, in uh, a year ago, we took a team for the first time to Lesvos, and um, we're literally on the welcoming the boats. And I think one of the things that, um, there's so many things, because as Susan said, preaching to the choir, you wouldn't be in this class if you didn't already have a heart for the refugees. But the, one of the things that I'd like to tell people is a refugee never chooses to be a refugee, mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. You ask any of them in Greece, when they go to their interviews, you say, what country? There's like only seven countries accepting them now from Greece. U.S. is not accepting anyone from Greece. What country do you want to go back? Where do you want to go to? Syria. Afghanistan. They want to go home. That's where they want to be. They don't want, they didn't choose any of this. And I think we forget that. I think we always forget that. And we forget <coughs> what they've been through. And so we don't do short-term teams to Iraq. It's a little bit harder to get in and out and to expose people to the Muslim population and all the things that you've been saying. They're just, all, everything. I was just resonating with everything. So I don't want to repeat that. But the Greece trips are geared toward people and we've had staff from Siloam and staff from World Reef join us on our trips because they had never seen that side of the equation. They had only seen refugees after they got here. And you're absolutely right. We are getting the cream of the crop in America. But our Greece trips are structured for one week for people to take a week off. And my goal of the trip is that you have a paradigm shift in how you view this crisis situation, that you view it as a strategic opportunity to share the gospel with people that we might have never met before, and that you might make friends with somebody there that you keep up digitally. I just got a phone call last night from a young couple who, um, 22 and 25, they're from Syria, and um, they came across on the boats, and they just got placed in Lithuania, and they landed in Lithuania, and he called the Mama Lisa, we're here, and they can't wait till you visit, and, um, and that you keep up, and he's Muslim, and his uh, wife is Muslim, and you keep up relationships. So when I take teams, I usually take teams from churches, usually they come in groups. I say, if you, if you think differently and you can go back and be an advocate in your community, and if you can make friend, a friends with one refugee here and keep up with them electronically and be able to just share Christ with them, and not in an evangelistic, we're not, we're not a church planning group, we're not evangelism, we're, but in fact, our, the way we train our staff is that when people ask you why you do this, your line is, as a follower of Jesus, he, he compels me to do this. Whether you're, whether you're Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, just like what you said. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you're interested in the trips, it's very, and it's also, you get to go to Mars Hill, you get to see the Parthenon, you know, um, and we try to expose people to agencies that have been working in Greece for over 25 years themselves in the refugee um, situation. 
And we go to squats where people don't talk about the squats, people just talk about the camps. Squats are, there's eight of them in Greece, there's over three to 400 people. The conditions they're living in are appalling. Those are typically run by anarchists. Yes, non-Christians. So you're, all, you're working with non-Christian community, you're seeing non-Christians really get in there and do what I think that the universal church should be doing. And, um, and, you just, and then you see Christian organizations that have been in the trenches for 25 years, you know, and you get to meet and fellowship with refugees, and you get to know them as real people. And um, so that's the Greece trip in a nutshell. I know I have to quit. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. One thing I'll do is in this week's class notes, I'll be sure to share Lisa's email, contact information, and all these folks maybe contact information. Uh, I wish we had more time for questions and follow up from you guys, but thank you all for sharing. Appreciate you guys. Yeah. All right, we're out of time. Y'all have a good day.